wise man once told me, gun rhymes with fun for a reason, stranger. But I never really understood what he meant until now. Welcome to Totally Biased Media, the podcast where three brothers that know nothing about video games tell you everything they know about video games. I'm Jordan, and I don't care about viruses or president's daughters. I just want to organize my inventory. I'm Jason, and I failed my knife safety class. Again. I'm Jackson, and I'm off to bingo. We're talking about Resident Evil 4 Remake, a revival of one of the biggest horror games of all time. And now, let's get into it. So I want to do things. What? I'm I'm doing a little dance. Ah. (laughs) I want to do things different this time. You know, normally we sit down and we're just like, we played this new game. Is it any good? But see, here's the thing. No one is surprised that Resident Evil 4 Remake is good. This was not a game that people were weary about or they didn't know what to expect. Resident Evil 2 Remake was exceptional. Resident Evil 3 Remake was at least pretty good. People love the original Resident Evil 4 remake. They knew what they were getting into. So instead of... The original Resident Evil 4 You know what I mean. The original Resident Evil 4. Is that what we call it when the game came out on the PS2 immediately after? (laughs) Even though it was supposed to be GameCube exclusive? Uh, I like how that era had a lot of games that were originally broadcast as being like, you can only get this game on this console. But then... Even within that console generation, they they doubled back on that. Well, you've heard of the Capcom 5, right? Yes. I think this is, you know, it's always good to get into this when you're talking Resident yeah, Evil 4. Yeah. Uh, because Capcom made a huge deal with Nintendo. They talked about it constantly. You know, uh, the people behind Resident Evil 4 especially were talking about how they were making all these games that were going to be exclusive to the Nintendo GameCube forever. Um, and then... You know, they, they had a list of five games, one of which was canceled and never came out, <laughs> uh, three of which released on other consoles within the year that they released, I believed. Uh, and then the fourth one, that one stayed a Nintendo GameCube exclusive. Which one was so, that? You know, one out of five ain't bad. Which one stayed an exclusive? Uh, that's a good question. I believe Killer7. Ah, that gym that we all are intimately mm, I familiar love that with. one. <laughs> yeah. No, wait, sorry. No, I know for a fact it's not Killer7 because I have Killer7 on another ah. console. Maybe it's Dead Phoenix? Hmm. I don't remember what that one is at all. That makes sense. I that's haven't probably, heard of either of that's them. That's probably the yeah. one then, ain't but it? But we're not here to talk about games like Killer7 or Beautiful Joe. Was that another one of them? Beautiful yeah, Joe, okay. yeah. We're not here to talk about games like that. We're here to talk about the one people actually care about still. I think before we start digging into everything that makes up Resident Evil 4, we should probably step back for like a second and talk about our other experiences with Resident Evil, because much like every other remake we've talked about on this podcast, none of us played the original, at least not very much. So, Jackson, have you played any other Resident Evil games before this? No. Yeah, that's that's that tracks. <laughs> Hey, wait, I just looked it up. Uh, the one that stayed GameCube exclusive was called PNO3. Dead Phoenix got canceled. Mm. I thought it was the other way around. I don't even, I can't even like picture PNO3. 
I I I don't even know what kind of game that is. I I, I, I think don't it's know. a shooter. I got nothing. Like a third person uh, shooter. I don't know anything about these sense. games either. Makes sense. I played Beautiful Joe. I played okay. Resident Evil Four last yeah. week. <laughs> I played Killer Seven several years ago. It's all right. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big fan yeah. of Grasshopper Manufacture. Yeah. But anyways, Jackson zero Resident Evil experience. Jason, what about you? I played a little bit. I definitely had Resident Evil 4 on the Wii. <laughs> um, mm. I don't think I played past even... I, I don't even think I got to the opening village segment. <laughs> and other than that, yeah. I've played enough of Resident Evil 2 Remake to make it to the police precinct. So I was at least somewhat familiar with Leon, although not very. <laughs> yeah. And as for me, I I did not play the... I didn't... I didn't even touch the Resident Evil series when I was younger. Like, I just assumed I was a huge chicken and these games were not for me. Like, I when I say I assumed that, I mean I had zero evidence that I disliked horror stuff. I just decided when I was, like, seven or whatever, it's like, nope, I don't like any scary things ever, even though I've never experienced them. So I never even gave Resident Evil a shot. But I guess it was about two years ago... Uh, it was right when I got my PS5, I was playing some of the games off of the PlayStation Plus collection that I had never actually played uh, on the PS4, and first one I went with was Resident Evil 7, and I would say it took about 15 minutes, and I was totally hooked. <laughs> Absolutely loved that game, quickly became, like, top 10 favorite games of all time. Like, I think it's the, like, the horror experience in a game. <laughs> loved that. Jumped over to Resident Evil 8, bounced off of it at first, came back and finally gave it its due, then loved that one. <laughs> and uh, I guess that was really it up until this game came out. And boy, howdy. They just, they knock it out of the park every time. I feel so dumb for not playing these games more. In a lot of ways, the Resident Evil games are nothing alike, but in like the best and most interesting way. They're definitely unique from each other i mean resident evil 2 at least what i've played and seen like it's pretty standard zombie stuff but yeah. resident evil 4 like the enemies aren't even really zombies like <laughs> they're just yeah parasites i guess or they're being controlled by parasites yeah they it's, still it's like a whole wild different thing that wasn't in any of the previous games um yeah i think resident evil 5 kind of goes into them a lot more but like but i mean it's definitely unique even yeah. within the resident evil franchise or at least and, the golden years of the franchise that being you know 1 2 3 and 4 yeah but even like comparing resident evil 7 versus 8 which are games that have the same protagonist and only released a couple years apart those are still fundamentally different experiences like resident evil 7 is this classic horror you are an unarmed dude who wanders into a haunted house. You have no training. You have no equipment. Like, you're just there trying to survive as these... It's sort of like Resident Evil 4 where they're just monster-ish people more than zombies. But there are these people just constantly charging at you. And they're busting through walls. And they're grabbing you from places you couldn't see them. And it's like quintessential haunted house type of game. And then Resident Evil 8, which again, same protagonist just a couple years later, is this like over-the-top shooter where you're on like a carousel through all these different horror settings and it's like, it's got... And, and they're all kind of like, 
you know, generic or like movie monsters more so than just zombies in that game, right? Like there's well, a group of vampires, there's uh, werewolves, it's, there's it's like haunted marionettes. Instead like, of zombies or virus infected people, it's it is werewolves. They're like the main villains are infected with lycanthropy. In varying stages. Some of them are still very human, just like slightly hairier. And then some of them are like full on werewolves. And uh, that's like the common enemy. But then you're, you're fighting this family that have all these different leaders. And there is like a doll maker. There's a guy that can control metal with his mind. There's Lady D, who is like the lord of this giant castle. And it's very gothic horror style. Like it just takes you through all these insane settings. And I think that what I like most about Resident Evil 4 is it takes a very similar approach to Resident Evil 8, but you can definitely see where it started here. Because I think that the three acts in this game are very, very distinct, like play totally differently from each other, but in a very congruent way. Like, I feel like Resident Evil 8, in a lot of ways, was probably testing the waters for a Resident Evil 4 remake. Because I, they made the Resident Evil 2 and 3 remakes, which, the at least the one for Resident Evil 2, was like really well, <laughs> really well received. You know, people loved it. Everyone was talking about how great it was. But Resident Evil 2 is very different from Resident Evil 4. Resident Evil 2, like, you've, you need to count your bullets, because... Even, like, the first zombie encounter, you barely have enough ammo to get out of it. I don't even know if you do have enough ammo to get out of the second zombie encounter. Like, there's nothing you can do. Like, you need to run, you need to save all your ammo, and you need to make sure that you're using it in, like, creative ways to make sure that you don't get just immediately killed. <laughs> uh, Resident Evil 4 is not that. No. Maybe in the very beginning. Like, you still have to be very conservative with your ammo. You have to really think through which fights are worth engaging and when it's worth using different stuff. But by the end, this is just, like, straight-up adrenaline. You're running through guns blazing, mowing down tons of these infected people. <laughs> and, like, like, it gets hardcore. Yeah, it's pretty wild. The, uh, the third act, in general, and... I you know I don't want to get into like heavy spoilers or anything here. Sure. Uh, the third act is really impressive to me because it is the first part of the game that's even remotely scary. <laughs> uh, and yeah. then when it's not being scary, it is just action set piece after action set piece. <laughs> it, yeah. it is wild, like how tonally all over the place the third act is in this game, <laughs> and it has you know. A lot of encounters that kind of suck, like they're not super fun, because I, I think once you get into the enemies with guns in this game, they're less interesting to fight, because it, it just kind of goes back to standard third-person shooter mechanics. Um, but those horror segments, like they keep you on the edge of your seat. Yeah, it. I don't think there is much of this game that I would truly describe as scary, but there is a lot of it that is tense. And it's tense for the same reason that action movies from, like, the 80s were tense, where there's just, like, people constantly doing crazy maneuvers, and they're jumping through, like, gunfire, and there's explosions happening everywhere. <laughs> and I think that 
like this game can be perfectly summarized by just talking about the fact that there is a part where you have to you are on a boat being pulled by a giant <laughs> mutant catfish but yeah it's, it's like a catfish but it has legs so it's like kind of a salamander but anyways this thing's like 40 feet long it's dragging you on a boat and you have an infinite supply of harpoons you're having to constantly throw at it while you're steering the boat and it's like that and Leon just acts like that's a normal yeah, day. Leon is unbothered by all of this. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. face him at Leon all. Leon isn't faced by anything in this game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is the most... If this was a Marvel movie, everyone would be complaining about how much they hate it. Yeah. It is, it's funny, though, because I, I keep making that comparison in my head. Like, I keep comparing it to action movies. But at the same or time... Or Forspoken. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's like a kind of that vibe to it. Like, I keep comparing it to like movies and other stuff that has that same type of vibe with the protagonist and it never works in other stuff but for some reason this game is like the perfect storm of stupid and ridiculous and over the top that i was so into it all the time like even in the parts where the it got a little tedious combat wise i was still really i was just like excited by like this world and this character and this vibe and, like, again, Leon has no reaction to anything, but also sometimes he will just, like, go up behind a stunned person and suplex them and, like, break their neck on impact and keep going. Where did he even learn that? <laughs> yeah. Is that standard training for the REPD? Yeah. Or RCPD? Like, yeah. Like, he'll just do stuff like that and then default back to totally normal, boring guy <laughs> afterwards. Something I think is really like interesting and weird about Resident Evil 4 is that it implies that a whole lot of stuff went down between Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 4. It is a six-year time jump, I believe. Mm -hmm. None of it is expanded upon <laughs> except like the fact that he was trained by one of the bad guys in this game. Yeah. Uh, this game sets up a character is like, I've been... Leon's mentor this whole time. Also, I'm a villain. That's like the whole backstory. Like, there's no like Leon. Well, like, did you read the logs? Uh, like, as you were playing through the game. Yeah, for the most part. He has right before you fight him. There is just a whole bunch of lore dumped on you yeah. <laughs> about some top secret mission he went on like two years before the game. Yeah. Uh, and it is not really mentioned anywhere else except, you know, when you're talking to him. <laughs> and it's like four different things that are all in one tent in the third act of the game. Which I do have to say, um, the third act of the game has just a lot of those really, I guess, tedious combat segments. Uh, but they are broken up by what is, without a doubt, the best boss fight in the game. Oh, for sure. And sure. maybe one of the best boss fights ever. Yeah. <laughs> like, this has been way upgraded from how it was in the original game. Uh, from my, well, it's one of those issues where, like, I've seen people play the original game, but I haven't played it myself. Yeah. From my understanding, that boss fight was mostly quick time events originally. This game doesn't really have any quick time events unless you count, like, enemies grabbing you as a quick time event. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I do that quick time event. And it's been replaced a lot. with just, like, this really cool boss fight where it's, you know, 
completely different from anything else you do in the entire game. Jackson, I highly recommend you finish this game just for that boss fight. I think it's as good as the. Oh, I want to finish. It's on the level of like the Deathstroke boss fight from Arkham Origins. That was the only good thing about that game. (laughs) I think that Resident Evil Four just has excellent boss fights in general, though. I like the fact that there is sort of this recurring idea in all the Resident Evil games that I've played where their bosses are. They do have workarounds and they have weak points and they have specific ways that you can handle them as efficiently as possible but you also have the option of just pumping like 10 clips of like ak-47 ammo into their head and that also works the way that you talked about guns the whole time you're playing kind of i think we played very differently and i also think that's why it probably took me several more hours to get through the game than you Hmm. i played very aggressively like the whole game i was not sneaking around i think i could probably count on one hand the number of stealth kills i did in the entire run of this game i would save pretty much all of my ammo for fully automatic weapons for bosses and big enemies And then when I got to those, I would just absolutely unload on them. (laughs) Like, uh, uh, there's a particular point where I got killed by the same, not like a mini boss, I guess you could say. There's these guys that wear these bull masks and they're very tanky and they have different weapons. And like this one had a machine gun and it like bust through a door and it killed me twice. The third time I redid how I, like I redid the whole fight up to that point completely differently only using my pistol and my um, bolt slinger. I can't think of what it's called. But only using the weak stuff. So that as soon as that guy busted the door, I had like 15 shotgun shots and three clips in an SMG and two clips in a rifle just to like unload onto him as quickly as possible. And he was dead like before he got through the door. Like that was how I played this game pretty much the entire time. Yeah, I played the game very differently. Uh, I almost exclusively used the pistol to get headshots and didn't really bother shooting other than that. Hmm. There were a few times when like I would have an insane amount of ammo and I was using like the fast pistol. I don't remember what it's called off the top of my head. Not Matilda, the one that does the three round burst, but the uh, the other fast. It's like the second pistol you get. There were some times when I would just fire like bullet after bullet into someone's chest, especially if they had an enemy behind them because I could take out like two enemies at the same time. Uh, but unless there was a situation like that lined up, it was straight headshots. <laughs> Occasionally I would shoot their grenades or their Molotovs, but yeah. I like I got that AK-47 type thing that you mentioned, uh, and I did not use it. I immediately <laughs> put it in storage, and I was like, eh, this doesn't really fit for me. I don't even use the shotgun unless I'm getting headshots. I, uh, I think that the reason I play the game the way that I do is because, generally speaking... I don't like games where you have to be really stingy with ammo. So the way I kind of circumvent that for myself is that I just handle everything with the pistol because it's the one I have the most ammo for. It has the one that has the highest drop rate for more ammo. It's the cheapest one to craft more ammo for. So like anything I can handle with the pistol, I do. So that any even moderately bigger threat, I have everything else just like on the ready. (laughs) I think that one of the coolest things about this game is the fact that it's like, it doesn't make any conceits 
about the fact that it can be this guns blazing, no mercy type of combat. Like, I think that with other games I've played in the series, which again, I've only played the two most recent ones, they sort of have this tone where that super aggressive play style doesn't fit it. And this game feels like it was made for that. Like, there's a scene in this game where you have to basically play out a Donkey Kong minecart level. <laughs> and uh, it ends with them flying through the air in a minecart and Leon jumping off of the minecart, again, while in midair, <laughs> jumping like like 20 feet and then landing in like a barrel roll so he won't hurt himself. And he ends in like big dramatic pose and stuff too. Like this is the like cheesiest most ridiculous thing and i feel like that really went hand in hand with the fact that i handled every situation as like mercilessly as i could this is definitely a game that feels like an 80s movie i get like con air vibes from it <laughs> and maybe that's because i was listening to a podcast where someone was talking about con air <laughs> during one part of this game yeah. but like i'm just imagining leon just shooting people in the head left and right and then I do that in the game. Yeah. Like, he feels like an action hero, secret spy, or super spy, kind of like James Bond almost. Mm -hmm. In a way that, like, I don't really think any other game is quite nailed. Yeah, I think... And the, and the fact that every encounter ends with some cheesy one-liner, and it's always <laughs> yeah. the dumbest stuff. And, yeah. and it's crazy to think that, you know, they cut dumber stuff out <laughs> yeah yeah this is what's left after the cuts yeah i i really want to go back and play the original now just so i can like see what was actively changed but i also feel like that would be such a hard step because this game feels so good like yeah. i think that third person shooter mechanics are one of the things that have been notoriously bad for the, at least the last probably 10 plus years but both resident evil 4 and dead space handled it so smoothly like the game just feels good to play and i don't know that if i were to go back and play a game that was originally released on the gamecube you know 15 plus years ago that it would be that positive of an experience my problem with going back to the original resident evil 4 is that's from a time period where i did not like third person shooters and the older i've gotten the more i've come to realize the reason i didn't like third person shooters is because they sucked back then. <laughs> so it's like, I've heard Resident Evil 4 especially, you know, I've been hearing about this game my entire life, how it's incredible, how it's, you know, one of the best shooters of all time, one of the best Resident Evil games, period. And everyone's like, oh, you should go back. And then I go back and it has tank controls. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. no, I'm not, I can't do this. <laughs> There's a reason I didn't play these games back in 2004. And it's not because I was scared of them. <laughs> That's part of it, too, but <laughs> yeah. if it was just the scared thing, I would have played other ones. Yeah, I I think for me, the, the horror element was sort of the big deciding factor of why I never played it. Like, as a kid, I didn't have a lot of super strict, like, explicit rules about what games I could and couldn't play. But there were always two franchises that I just, I think I might have just outright assumed they were off-limits, even though I was never told that. And that was Resident Evil and Grand Theft Auto. For some reason, in my mind... Those were games that were just like completely closed off, didn't even think about them, did not give them the time of day. Um, I don't I don't know explicitly why that is, but 
like I said, for a long time, I just assumed I didn't like horror and I was going to be the type that would get super freaked out and have nightmares and stuff. And I'm really not. I mean, again, I didn't really start watching horror movies or playing horror games until, you know, the last couple of years. But still. I've never been really into horror either. Um, The first horror game that I've ever sat down in my life and played all the way through was Dead Space a couple weeks ago. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and like the only horror movie I ever remember seeing and enjoying was uh, It Chapter One, (laughs) which... It's not super. It's not very scary. No, no. <laughs> yeah, but coming from someone that doesn't watch horror movies and doesn't like them, yeah, I'm just kind of awakening to horror as a genre in video games. Still, kind of feeling my way through it. <laughs> this yeah. game is not scary. <laughs> no, um, and I think that horror in games is such a weird thing because it kind of has to exist on a bell curve, where it has to be plausible in terms of the threat but it also needs to be approachable in terms of you are a protagonist of a video game who needs to survive the situation so you always know that you're going to be at least hypothetically prepared for whatever the game throws at you and i think that aside from the beginning of resident evil 7 which i believe is honest to god terrifying i don't think anything i've played in this series has ever been that scary because i've always felt overly prepared and that definitely extends into this game where you can turn yourself into a walking tank within like the first couple hours jackson we haven't really heard too much from you uh what did you think of resident evil 4 i have not beat it i have not played most of it but so far it is definitely a favorite game that i've played this year for sure (laughs) it is it's, it's it's great um back on like the thing about shooters i really like these more slow-paced third-person shooters like this or Dead Space or at least the way I play The Last of Us, those just always feel so much better than play than, like, fast-paced Call of Duty stuff. Yeah, I get that. Like, I think that lends itself more to a narrative. And I think that this game, as ridiculous as the story is, is still a game about the story and the characters and the world. I think that this game honestly has a lot in common with Dead Space. I mean, we've brought it up several times at this point already. Dead Space was really good. And it's also a game where you can basically become a walking tank fairly early on. (laughs) Um, I think one thing that's kind of notable about the two games is like Dead Space the whole time you are a walking tank and they're like, you better be careful. (laughs) You're going to get killed instantly by any one of these guys. And uh, Resident Evil 4, they're just like, Leon, you're a walking tank. Period. (laughs) That that comes with the defensive capabilities you would associate with a tank as well. I I do have to say, I like Leon's, uh, like, melee attack (laughs) animations a lot more than Isaac's. I do wish that Leon would start cursing as you uh, keep attacking. (laughs) Yeah. We just need to get a marriage of these two games and pull in, like, what worked here? And it was Isaac being like, mother effer, <laughs> as he steps on a, uh, a necromorph yeah. for, like, the 50th time. And Leon just suplexing and random not saying people. a thing about it. <laughs> uh, I, I think that the moment when I realized I was going to love this game was literally the first time I confronted a normal enemy. And I shot them in the head with a pistol. And that opens them up for a melee attack. And as you approach them, you get a button prompt. It's like, press X to melee. And I did that thinking he was going to, like, knock him out with the gun or something. But instead, Leon does a roundhouse kick. 
and kicks him. <laughs> yeah. It's so dumb. Sometimes. I don't know why right. he does sometimes it. Sometimes <laughs> you will be on the phone in the game talking with someone. And usually in a game, when that's happening, boxes that you have to break, you just can't break. In this, you still can. And he breaks every box that's on the ground by roundhouse kicking it. So you'll just be on the phone with someone yeah. very calmly. And just in the background, you're just roundhouse kicking a barrel. Yeah. I just, I love how calm Leon's demeanor is and how not calm everything he does is. He fights a fish uh, monster and he just doesn't care. Yeah, totally unbothered by it. I don't think Resident Evil 4 would work as No, movie. no. I think it's one of those things where like, this kind of attitude and like schlockiness, yeah. I guess. <laughs> like that only works in a video game. If someone made a movie about this, you'd just be like, why is this guy such a <laughs> yeah. jerk? Well, and I actually watched a trailer this week for a new Resident Evil movie that's coming out. It's like an animated deal. And it's about a ho- it's about basically every playable character. It's yeah, about that's exactly service? what it is. It's a fan service movie. And it has like Leon and Jill and um chris yeah chris yeah and claire it, it's got all yeah. the all the hits and they're just like standing in this prison fighting the infected doing quips and stuff to each other and then like it cuts to a dramatic moment where someone like busts down a door just in time to save the civilian like it's it's nothing when you're not the one doing the ridiculous action stuff uh, also, the art style of that movie looked terrible. I could not imagine watching that. Jackson, a specific thing I've wanted to sort of pick your brain on here is, you know, there are clear similarities because it's zombie survival game, specifically a lot where you're trying to protect a helpless secondary character. Totally very different, though. Talk to me about this game versus The Last of Us. <laughs> Because I have not played enough of The Last of Us I've, to talk about that. I have actually been thinking about that a lot. Even though I haven't... I have not met Ashley yet. Um, which is fairly early-ish on in the game. Which really just goes to show uh, that I have not played much of it yet. But even without that, I still notice a lot of similarities in the gameplay. Like, this game really rewards taking your time. And it's very satisfying. Like... It feels so much better to actually line up your shots and get those headshots and get those roundhouse kicks in than just like unloading an entire mag into their torso. (laughs) And that's kind of how Last of Us was for me too. So I've started to like notice when playing it how sort of similar it is. The biggest difference just being that this lot less required stealth. There's a lot of Last of Us that you're not going to get through very well without stealth. And tonally it is not completely different last of us feels very much like yeah we're, we're screwed world is ended and in this it's more like this dude is like a tank like we're good we're we got no problems this guy is going to single-handedly descend on this small town and tear apart this cult from the inside out and there is zero question about whether or not he'll succeed the entire time he's not very good at his one job which is you know protecting the president's daughter she gets away from him like four times. Yeah, that's something that was really shocked me about this game. People were constantly complaining about the parts where you had to protect Ashley in the original game. And maybe there were more of them. Maybe they were more difficult. Maybe the AI was worse. Well, I'm sure the AI was worse. So that was definitely part of it. 
Ashley's only with you like a third of the game. I mean, it's never for more than two or three chapters at a time that she is actually there for you to protect. And most of the time, like you don't even meet her until like chapter six, and then you're only with her until like chapter eight, and then you don't see her again until like chapter 11. Like it's, like you do not... You do not invest much of the time in this game protecting her. Yeah, there's only one part of the game that I even thought was remotely annoying with protecting Ashley. And uh, lo and behold, it was in the third act during one of the scary sections. Yeah, there's actually one. And I think this might have been one that was notoriously bad in the original. So I like I don't I won't complain too much about other people's complaints here. But there's <laughs> one part where you have to shoot people to keep them off of her while she's like turning knobs and pulling levers and stuff to get this walkway to move and like she's up above you and you have to like shoot people off of a catwalk to keep her from like to keep them from getting to her and it's a it's a scene that I know a lot of people complain about in the original game but I thought it was awesome in this one like I thought that was a really cool way to handle it because you're having to go back and forth between, like, shooting people to get them off of her. And then there's people also, like, running at you to try and melee them. So you're having to, like, switch back and forth between close-range weapons for yourself and long-range weapons to protect her. And, you know, there's also the risk of, like, if one picks her up, it's going to be hard to shoot them without hitting her. So now you have to, like, you know, focus on leg shots. Or you have to, uh, you know, wait until they're more open or, like... I thought that was a really, really cool way to handle the protection side of the game. And I wish there was more moments like that. But it's really just that and then one in the third act, which did suck. <laughs> Ashley's with you for almost the entirety of the second act, barring like a chapter or two. Yeah. Um, and the second oh. act is definitely the highlight of the game. Absolutely. By just a huge margin. Not, not to say that like the first and third acts are bad. Uh, the third act, I'm, I, like, I've said it a few times at this point. I wasn't a huge fan of it. The first act is very good. The second act is just insanely good stuff. Yeah. Like, everything in the castle is so good. It's fun. It has, like, that really good balance of combat and solving puzzles. And then there's even a section where you get to play as Ashley. And there's entirely different mechanics while you're playing as her with freezing enemies instead of uh, fighting them. And it's... It's so good. Yeah. That part is, I guess, could be a little scary. Yeah, that was actually what I was about to say, is I was wrong. There is one part of this game that I would describe as scary, and it's the part where you're playing as Ashley, and it's incredible. <laughs> I it's was, definitely a highlight of the game. Yeah, for sure. Um, it reminded me of that beginning of Resident Evil 7, where you're just a normal person that's unarmed, but there are these monster people coming after you. Like, that was the vibe that I think sold the whole series for me originally. And I haven't really seen it return until that chapter. I was actually really disappointed that you don't play as Ashley more than you do. I do have to say that section, and I think this is part of what makes it so good. It feels like an entirely different game. Oh yeah, for sure. It feels like Outlast. That was the game I kept comparing it. Like that was the game I kept finding Yeah, that or to. maybe like Fatal Frame. Yeah, yeah but that if you kind didn't of vibe. Yeah, I mean, I guess I think it's very comparable to Fatal Frame. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're doing literally the same thing. <laughs> yeah, that everything in the castle is exceptional from an aesthetic standpoint, from a gameplay standpoint, from the tone of the game. Like everything is just that is it is firing on all cylinders from like the second that the gates close when you get inside the castle until you get out. Like everything about it was perfect.
if the whole the game was on that margin. The boss fight before the castle is also very good. Yes, now that I think for sure. about it. Yeah. So there are two boss fights in particular that I think are really stand out, and it is the first boss and well, I guess the second boss if you count the river monster or yeah. the lake monster. So the second boss and like the next to last boss are so good. Yeah. Highlights of the game, maybe even the genre. <laughs> I guess these horror games are really good for boss fights because Dead Space had a lot of really good boss fights too. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Especially fighting the Leviathan in that game. Yeah. So good. Jackson, did you do any of the bosses other than the River Monster? Not other than Mr. River Monster. There's another one that comes shortly after the River Monster that's more, uh, it's like a giant infected guy, but I don't know if that one really counts as like an honest boss or not. Still pretty cool. Had some cool moments in it, but there are a lot of... boss. Yeah. There are a lot of... Like the way I see it, there are like four main bosses in this game, but there's at least like one smaller one between each of those that's also pretty yeah. cool so the ones in between the major bosses are a little more just shoot them until they die <laughs> there's not as much like strategy and there's not you know they're they're not in these really interesting and fixed battlefields that are laid out in just a precise way like they're just big fights with big enemies but still really cool oh wait, jackson have you done the fight against like the giant huh <laughs> Oh no. Okay. <laughs> um I wasn't I couldn't remember where that was in the story. It was I was like maybe he did get yeah. past that, but it doesn't no. sound like it. I actually so I finished I guess I should back up. The way I played this game, other than like the day I got it, I played a couple of chapters. I kept it to exactly one chapter a day from there on. So I finished this game uh yesterday. It was like I had a an exact a schedule that lined up to do exactly that. <laughs> um and that took something like 15 hours, I think. It was a little under one hour per chapter was my actual playtime in the end. And I started New Game Plus today just to see. And I'm not normally a New Game Plus person at all, but I found the upgrade components of this game and the fact that you could carry over some pretty wild stuff. I thought that was interesting, so I gave it a shot. And you wanted to try out the cool... <laughs> yeah exactly I, I had to wear the pinstripe suit that you get for beating the game um so i immediately put that on and started over and i played like the first act of the game in one sitting and even when you're playing this game as this super overpowered already has all the guns and all the best gear like it's still so fun to just sprint through and mow down zombies and fight these big bosses like the giant and like, all of that is so cool. Uh, it is really funny, though, because I thought that that giant fight was more of, like, an endurance-type thing in my first playthrough. Because at that point, you really only have, like, a pistol and a shotgun and a rifle. And it's a very slow rifle. And this time I got to it, and I had a fully automatic rifle, an SMG, like, the best shotgun in the game. <laughs> like, I was very, very well equipped. And, like, just unloaded the second the fight started and within like five seconds it cut to the cut scene of like okay you're about to win we gotta do a we gotta do a, a narrative thing here <laughs> um and it's still so fun even yeah. doing it that way it's funny because like the game is not super long if you're just rushing through it i think you can beat the game i think there's a medal the only way you can get s plus rank is by beating it in four yeah. hours <laughs> which like i think it's maybe longer on harder difficulties yeah. 
I I, th- I looked at the thing at the end. It, it's kind of interesting because if you're playing on the uh, the easiest difficulty, you have like 15 hours, which is the longest of any of them to get an A rank. Uh, but if you want the S plus rank on the easiest difficulty, you have to beat it faster than any yeah. of the others. Well, because I mean, it, this is a game clearly built around speed running, or not built around it, but there is a a lot injected into the game to make it speedrunner friendly. And yeah, I've heard that there are like intentional, um, I forget what they're called, where you go to areas like before you're yeah. supposed to. Yeah, which I mean that makes sense because this game, it has a lot of sequence break. Yeah. Because this game is sort of that, it's linear, but it's a recursive map, so you're circling back around and you're opening up new doors, and I could definitely see ways that you could just, like, shoot straight through to, like, I was, even on my New Game Plus run, I was still doing the side missions, I think if I wasn't, I probably could have made it to Ashley in, like, 25 minutes, (laughs) like, and that's as someone that doesn't do speedrunning, whereas that took me, like, four or five hours the first time. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because you mentioned it took you about like you said like sixteen ish hours to beat the game. Yeah, roughly. Uh, I think mine was closer to like nineteen hours, mm-hmm. uh, and my time playing it was definitely not as well spread out. Uh, so over the past two weeks, I played up to uh, chapter eight, and then I played like nine through thirteen last night, <laughs> and thirteen through the end <laughs> this morning. <laughs> Uh, so I didn't quite get to spread it out quite so much. And that might be part of the reason why I really don't like the third act, because I played it all at once. Well, even the way I played it, it's still it was definitely the low point of the game. I mean, it's still good, and it, it got better as it went, but there was definitely a drop between the point where you leave the castle and before you really get your footing in that third act. Because the third act Mm -hmm. is very different in every way. Totally different gunfights. It's a very different style. The puzzles are totally different. And, like, it takes some adjustment. It takes some adjusting to get in tune with that last act. And I still think it has a lot of strong points, but it's not overall as good as... It's not overall as good as the simplicity of the village or as good as the, like... I don't know why the castle part works so well, but it does. (laughs) Uh, it's just paced perfectly yeah <sighs> i'm really excited for what's to come for resident evil i think it's fair to say with all the awards or not awards all the um praise that resident evil 4 remake has got there is a good chance it will probably be pretty high up there running for action adventure game of the year if not game of the year one thing i'll be very surprised if it does not win or at least get nominated for is sound design which I know is a very big turn from what we were just discussing, but I do think it's important to talk <laughs> about because the sound design in this game is absolutely amazing. I don't I don't know if you guys have just been playing this, but like every time I hear the sound of the briefcase opening out, I'm just like, that's amazing. How do they make this sound so good? This is probably the best I've seen a game make use of the PlayStation's um, embedded speaker on the controller. Like, I think that most games that try that end up creating this very jarring, like, takes you out of the game type of vibe. But I think when it's used in this game, it works really, really well. And I think that that's sort of what puts it over the top on the sound design part. It's not just that everything sounds good and like it should. It's the fact that it it adds that extra level of immersion that I think most games just really stumble on. 
Yeah, I guess we should mention we all played on PS5. Was it on yeah. anything uh, else? Yeah. I, I think that... Honestly, I thought it was on a PS5 exclusive. <laughs> I don't even I'll know look real quick. <laughs> yeah, PlayStation 5, 4, Xbox Series, and cool. PC. Cool. <laughs> I definitely knew I saw it on Steam. Yeah. Um, I think that that PS5 controller, like the speaker in it, it's at its best when it's making sounds that only your character can hear. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a cool way to to do it. I think. Yeah, because then it's like, I guess it adds a little bit to the immersion because, you know, things that everyone can hear, that comes from the TV or your headphones or whatever. Yeah. I guess if you're wearing headphones, I don't know that the controller speaker <laughs> I've actually been wanting yeah. to try it out with oh. headphones just because of that. Stuff on the TV is stuff everyone can hear. Stuff on the controller is, like, different because it's coming from a different source, like, literally in your hands. <laughs> it's a weird thing to talk about, but it, I, I do think it's pretty interesting. The last time I thought of this much about the sound design in a game was Returnal, which was like over two years ago at this point. And I've played a lot of games since then. Yeah. I think the sound design and I mean, I don't know. This is a weird one to get into. We don't really talk about sound design much. I think Dead Space knocks it out of the park. I don't think I know enough to like have any complex <laughs> opinions on sound design. So. Yeah, I, I'm just saying Dead Space has like the ship creaking. Yeah. Where like it feels like you're in a giant hulking mass in space. Yeah. Whereas like, I, I mean, Resident Evil does good stuff, but it is working off of really familiar stuff as well. Yeah. So I want to uh, do something different here. I reached out to the Resident Evil subreddit for some opinions here, specifically from people that had played the original closer to release, something that none of the three of us had done. And I got two interesting replies here that I wanted to read. And the main reason that I want to read these two is because they could not be more different. And I always love that. So the first is from user KDeadshot, who says, The Resident Evil 4 remake breathed life into a game that never faded in the first place. The many diverse ways that you can approach each combat situation is, once again, what makes the game so legendary and, repl and replayable for me. So that was sort of one of the big selling points for me, too, was the fact that I did handle a lot of the combat the same way, but I know I never needed to. And I could pretty much go in with whatever loadout I wanted, and I knew that if I did it right, I could come out on top. Yeah, what was that section in the comment that was just like, re-breathes life into something that never faded or something? Yeah, yeah. the remake breathed life into a game that never faded in the yeah. first place. I really like that line, because even though I knew basically nothing about Resident Evil 4 going in, I knew that like Resident Evil 4 was a highly beloved game but like i knew nothing about it which i think made going into the game even better because like had sort of this mystical aura around it that was just like why is it so loved what am i gonna find here that everyone loves so <laughs> yeah. much and i found yeah, it that's how i felt about dead space it's, it's roundhouse kicking things it's like anytime there's a big remake of like a super popular game you go into it with that feeling where like why does everyone love this and usually you find it. <laughs> usually you find it, but it requires some digging. I think with Resident Evil 4, it like smacks you and it roundhouse kicks you in the face the minute you start. <laughs> um, Resident Evil 4 is one of those games that knows exactly what it is. And it's not afraid to be a video game. Yeah. Like yeah. it has a lot of 
I mean, it has some focus on realism, but any time where the rule of cool can be applied, it is. <laughs> yeah. This is a very video gamey video game. Like there, there are things that happen that could never happen in real life. There's an upgrade system that doesn't really make a lot of sense if you put any thought into it. Like there's a lot about this game that isn't real, but is still really cool. Now the other comment went a slightly different direction. Uh, this is a, a review from arbitrary username. Heh. Uh, arbitrary username H-E-H. Uh, that could be something really offensive. I don't know. Uh, and they said, it's pretty good the first time, but it is kind of boring afterwards and not as good as the original. And that's a whole different side of this that I've seen a lot of where people have pretty much universally praised the appearance and the mechanics and stuff. But there are a lot of people that I've seen make claims that this game lost a lot of its personality, which is insane to think of because this game is dripping with it i i don't want to be rude but i think a lot of the people that have bad things to say about this remake are just contrarians i i mean like i definitely can see you know coming back to a game with like a fresh coat of paint that you're really familiar with mm. or like coming back to a game you're really familiar with with like this all new fresh coat of paint it's an entirely new experience while also being really familiar I think that can really mess with your nostalgia for something. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that leads some people to kind of walk away with a, with a bad taste in their mouth because, you know, maybe a part that they really liked was taken out <laughs> or maybe something new, you know, they feel like it takes away from the spirit of the game. But I think ultimately it's hard it's hard to really approach a remake of a game that you're really familiar with to begin with. Oh, for sure. For sure. And I think, you know, maybe if we had played the original Resident Evil, we'd have different opinions on it. But as someone that didn't play the original Resident Evil, I can say that this remake is incredible. Like, there are no real aspects, no major aspects that I would really change about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's exactly and I, how I I think felt. that there are, I've seen a lot of people... I guess, you know, the comment you read isn't necessarily as negative as I was thinking. But there, I've seen a lot of people talking about this game and just saying, like, it's absolute crap compared to the original. Or, <laughs> yeah. it, it's you know, it's gone woke or whatever. Yeah, God. <laughs> it's This game's too woke because you can't look up the underage girl's skirt anymore. <laughs> for two reasons. One, I think that she's not underage anymore. But two, she's wearing uh, skort. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I've definitely seen a lot of people criticizing this game for those <laughs> reasons and I just don't think that, that holds any water at all. I mean, I just I don't think that it's it's if if there was a game made today that had stupid stuff like you could look up a character's skirt and all that stuff, there would only be this one very very small subsection of the internet that would even care. And I don't think that the people that are so concerned about it being taken out of this game are the type that would engage with that in a new game regardless because they're like 20 years older now. <laughs> I think that it's also, it's really tough when you're talking about remakes in general because people are just like, the one that came out when I was nine years old was objectively better as a video game. It certainly wasn't because I was nine years old. <laughs> like, I just think that there is sort of, it's hard to divorce 
where you were as a person the first time you experienced something from the actual thing itself. And I don't think you have any obligation to divorce that all the time, unless you're a critic. <laughs> unless, like, you were trying to give a fleshed-out review of the thing. I don't think you necessarily have to separate yourself from that. I have heard there are definitely people that are vocal about disliking this game. Um, and it's not for the reasons I was expecting. Like, I thought there would be people saying it was too over the top. Or pointing out things like the fact that you can deflect a chainsaw with a knife. <laughs> Makes but sense to it me. hasn't been that. I think some of the people complaining are saying that it's not over the top enough, which is interesting. Yeah. Having only played this version. I know that originally there was a giant stone robot that chased you, and now it just shoots fire out of its mouth. And I can see how that's a big downgrade. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think that what this game did was, like, this remake was sort of a miracle that it, it works the way it does, because... Again, this is the edited version. Like, they took out stuff from this game, and it's still as ridiculous as it is. And I really could see if they had done 1% more, or 1% too little, that this game would have been completely different. And they really, like, got it right down the middle, which is, which is impressive. As a new player, I can definitely say that everything about this game is incredible yeah. in some way. Yeah, for sure. It's not necessarily things that I want to see in other games. Yeah, that's that's just, a good point. It's just like a perfect mixture. Everything in this game works with everything else in this game. Yeah. I don't know why I've been doing this, but I've been trying really hard to compare it to Dead Space. Like uh, like to like I've been trying really hard to figure out which one I like more. And I think that the answer is really that I like Dead Space more, but I am way more likely to play this game again. And I think that's for a couple of different reasons. Because one, I think this game does just have mechanics in play that make replay replayability so good. But also, I just think that there's more ways to approach this game. Whereas Dead Space mm -hmm. kind of had like the right way, it felt like. I, I can definitely agree with that. I think uh, Dead Space, I'm more excited for a sequel to. Whereas this game, like... I don't feel like it needs any kind of follow-up. Yeah. I mean, it got one. We know it did. <laughs> uh, My enjoyment of Resident Evil 4 Remake is not going to affect whether or not I play Resident Evil 5 Remake. Which I still have a hard time It's all time just going to depend on what it looks like when it comes out, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, like, my enjoyment of Dead Space Remake, 100% I will play Dead Space 2 Remake. Yeah, for sure. I'm just really excited about the future of Resident Evil in general. Not because of like any direct connection to this game or because of anything that's being set up narratively, as much as I just I really appreciate what what Resident Evil is. Like it would be so funny if Capcom takes all the wrong lessons from this game again. Oh yeah. They uh, make a new Resident Evil 5 remake and it's somehow worse than the last one. It's worse than the movies. Yeah. They make Resident Evil 9, and it's just horrible yeah. garbage. They take Resident Evil 9, and it's just totally indistinguishable from, like, a modern first-person shooter. It's just generic Call of Duty story, but the bad guys are kind of zombie-like. Oh, you're thinking they'll just go straight to Resident Evil 6. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> basically. It is really funny that pretty much universally everyone loved 1 through 4. And then 5 was really bad and then they doubled down on everything bad about five in six and then they were just like what if we went back 
to very basic horror. And everybody loves Seven again. <laughs> like, I really hope they don't have to go to this cycle again. I guess I we'll mean, see. I mean, Capcom's just been knocking it out of the park left and right. With uh, at least, you know, coming back and doing a lot of remakes of games that were really successful. You know what? I want to change what I said. Capcom's been making a lot of remakes of a lot of games where they used to knock it out of the park. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, I can't even really... And also, I heard Resident Evil 7 and 8 are good. Yeah. Um, I love 7 and 8. 7 and 8 are totally different games, though. Like, 7 is, like, again, very, like, quintessential haunted house. And then 8 is so crazy. But for totally different reasons than Resident Evil 4 is crazy. I just, I really, really love both those games. I still think, after playing 4, 7, and 8, that 7 is my favorite of the three that I've played. But I do really appreciate that extra layer that four and eight both have where there's like weapon upgrading and there's new game plus modes with extra challenges and there's you know crafting and more equipment like seven's very basic even in the end where you have like an smg and you're mowing zombies down you still don't have anywhere near as much just stuff you can do as you do in four or eight i was looking at capcom games and, uh, I mean, the new Monster Hunter was all right. I didn't like Monster Hunter Rise anywhere near as much as Monster Hunter World. But then they've remade a lot of games that I really like. Like, I love Mega Man X Collection. <laughs> I love the Mega Man Battle Network Collection that just came out yesterday, and I still haven't started. So I guess I don't know if I love the collection, but I did love Battle Network. Mm. And now I can play it again, <laughs> which yeah. is better than what Nintendo's doing for the most part. Dang Nintendo just continuing to make incredible games, but not giving me the remakes that I want. <laughs> hey, you got Metroid Prime. Yeah. Or I guess that's just a remaster. There always had to be something to remind me. <laughs> yeah. I really butchered that. I, I meant to say there's always something there to remind me, like the song. Yeah. I got it. I mean, my brain kind of rearranged it to be that anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so just, yeah. Uh, you know, cut cut the one where I messed up. No. Let's sort of bring it on home. Uh, final thoughts in like two sentences. Jackson, go. I haven't played nearly as much as it as I want. It's still good, though. Cool. <laughs> Jason, go. It's a really good remake of what I've been told is a very good game. I like it. <laughs> I would say way more intense than I ever expected it to be, but it always lands at the end of those intense moments. Those special infected are real scary in this one. <laughs> yeah. There's the two types of special infected. The first one I didn't like because of how many there were. The second one I didn't like because I hated it. I guess they were both effective enemies is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Very different vibe when they appeared, though. Yeah, like, there were a couple of enemy types that were a little bit too frustrating because they kind of brought everything else to a halt and you had to just focus on them, which is fine for, like, bosses. But it is kind of frustrating when you're just going about your business like normal and then an enemy that has some hyper-specific way you have to deal with them is thrown into the mix. But I don't think that really happens too often until you're pretty dang far in. And by that point, you're also really well-equipped. Well... I guess my closing statement on the game is I did not have a ball in the ballroom. <laughs> yeah, I quite liked the ballroom. I liked it uh, deciding to forego regular people and throwing giant flies at you. I am not prepared for whatever the ballroom is. <laughs> that is already a lot of Resident Evil 4 talk. So I think that means it's time to pull the plug. 
Jackson, what is something else that you've been into? I believe it was four weeks ago that I talked about good old Mandalorian. And we have came a far way since. There is one episode left of this season. And it took until the second to last episode for anything to happen. Is that the one that has Lizzo and Jack Black in it? Uh, that's the one before, actually. I've heard people say that that's the worst episode of any Star Wars show. But I yeah, don't know because it's got Jack Black. Yeah, in no, it. that's actually very wrong. That episode was great. Lizzo and Jack Black are only like two scenes of that. Uh, most of that episode is just buddy cop between the Mandalorian and Bo-Katan. And it's awesome. Like, it might be my favorite episode of the season so far. Bo-Katan, she's the leader of that, like, sect of Mandalorians from the end of the last season, yeah. right? But yeah. I didn't watch Clone Wars, so I don't really know too much about yeah. her. She was, uh, she, she was, was the, the sister show. of, I don't remember her name, but something Kree's. That's also Bo-Katan's last name, Kree's, who was the leader of Mandalore in the Clone Wars. So Bo-Katan's pretty high up there. But this season has been really weird. It has... The episodes have been really good. But as a season, it's not very good. Because there hasn't really been, like, an overarching plot or even an arc for the Mandalorian and Grogu. They've kind of just been in the background while the rest of the stuff's going on. I've kind of heard... And, you know, I'm really just going off of hearsay here. Uh, so I'm sorry to keep interrupting, but I've already done it, so... I've heard that this season kind of seems like it's more about the Mandalorians in general yeah, mm-hmm. and like Bo-Katan and her yeah, story. There's a lot more just like Mandalorians in general this season. A lot of this season has been about like rebuilding the Mandalorian clans, but even that has just been just kind of been slow. Like it feels like none of the plot has really picked up until the second to last episode when a big bad guy comes out of nowhere and bad stuff happens. It doesn't happen until, like, the last third of the second to last episode of the season. Like, the third episode of the season was all about um, some ex-Imperials that were taken into New Republic after the war ended. And it kind of sets up, like, that the Empire is still doing something. doesn't set up what they're doing, just that they are doing something. And then we don't hear about that again until the second to last episode. Or, I guess, technically, the sixth episode has, like, a small, like, two-second scene at the end when you find out that there's an Imperial Warlord out there. And then you don't hear anything again until the second to last episode. And it just feels like that should have came a lot sooner than it has. It feels like the season is just starting, and it's on the second to last episode. I don't know what it is. I mean, I guess it's a lot of things. But I really loved season one of Mandalorian. And I think season two was pretty good as well. But something about season three, just it hasn't really been on my radar at all. I mean, I know part of it was the fact that it was the the story was continued in the Book of Boba Fett which I only made it through one episode of. And it has been like three years or whatever since the last season. And I just don't think there was as much buildup to this season as the last one. I just, I don't know. I just, I haven't really cared as much this this time around. I'll probably still watch it once all the episodes are out, but I don't know. I just haven't felt the same pull to this season like I did with the previous two. I mostly blame Book of Boba Fett. Um, I blame it for basically all the problems this season has. A lot of this season, like the first like few episodes, could have been about Mandalorian 
I, I say that like he doesn't have a name. Could have been about Mandalorian and Baby Yoda reuniting. I also say that like he doesn't have a name. We don't call anyone. In yeah, this it's show Mandalorian and Baby Yoda. Those are what we call them. Sorry, it's the, the Mandalorian, Mandalorian and, Baby, and Baby, Yoda. Baby Yoda. Even though there are several other yeah. Mandalorians, it just we we differentiate him because he is the he's Mandalorian. the shot or the Mandalorian. If he's you're the shiny fancy. one. For some reason, he is the only like super shiny one. Everyone else is mostly matte colors and like really like doled out colors i mean we're really getting in the weeds here but his armor is like brand yeah, new it real shiny or at least big most of it yeah everyone else is probably wearing armor from like a decade yeah. ago <laughs> i don't hate this season or anything it just oh it's just not as good as the previous two and now uh, i th i think all the like post empire shows are gonna end in like a movie that unites all of them and that just doesn't sound like it's gonna be good so i'll have more info on that if it actually ends up existing which it probably won't i'm just gonna be honest it, it probably won't you know if you want some good mandalorian content i have to recommend knights of the old republic i know i've recommended this before but i i feel i should point out the basic story of the game is the aftermath of a giant war between the mandalorians and the jedi i guess they don't play like a huge role in the first game uh there is one and it does go into like their history quite a bit they're just not important in like the current conflict but knights of the old republic 2 like you meet mandalore <laughs> the mandalorians are very important can i play as a mandalorian no you have to play as a jedi get so. out of here i guess you could be a sith if you wanted kind of i don't think it's technically canon right now but it isn't i i think that it is basically canon the war between the jedi and the mandalorians is canon the the old knights of the old republic is not canon I imagine Knights of the Old Republic just is canon. They just haven't said it yet. They want to leave the groundwork open to do something different. But with Dave Filoni in charge, I think they're going to do the same thing. That's a lot of Star Wars talk, though. That's all my Mandalorian for this week. I'll be back in a few weeks when we have a certain game to talk about. But for now, I believe it is Jason's turn to tell us what he's been up to. Well, I'm back on my bullcrap again. <laughs> Playing Cyberpunk 2077. Okay, I thought it was going to be uh, either um, Death Stranding or Disco Elysium. <laughs> Death Stranding is ongoing. I do actually need to get back to that. I got to a bunch of major story stuff last time I played, but I haven't really played since then because uh, I think I was getting back into package delivery and I just wasn't feeling it. Uh, but I think I'm going to have some free time in the next couple of weeks to do that. <laughs> But yeah, I'm, I picked up uh, Cyberpunk 2077 again. There's been a lot of updates since the last time I played it. Uh, I haven't run into, and this is going to be wild, especially after my experience the past couple of times, I haven't run into any bugs. The game works now? The game is functioning properly. There's a big expansion coming up, and it's going to have uh, the man himself, Idris Elba. I'm very excited to play that, but I was like, I guess I should play through the Keanu Reeves stuff first. <laughs> yeah. I'm having a good time so far. I started over again, which is part of the reason I can confirm that there haven't been any bugs because I ran into a lot of bugs in the like opening sequence alone the past couple of times I've played. But this time, it's been smooth sailing. I haven't played super far. I've kind of just gotten to the point where I meet Keanu Reeves. Having a good time with it. I'd recommend, you know, if you guys have ever been interested in it, now is probably the time to give it a try. You know, we only have like two weeks until big Star Wars game, and then two weeks after that, big Legend of Zelda game. But 
Yeah. You know, maybe in your free time between playing those, <laughs> yeah. it would be good to pick it up. Yeah. Sorry, fam. I mean, it's definitely a game that stayed on my radar like since it dropped because I knew, you know, I knew that it was a game that I wasn't there was going to be stuff I wasn't going to like even if it did run flawlessly. And then there was all the problems with performance, so I just completely like put it out of my mind. But I've still like I, I keep an eye on it from a distance, <laughs> waiting for it to get to that point where it was like functionally a better game. And I know there were some people disappointed that it wasn't as deep of an RPG as it was sort of advertised to be. But the specific things that people described about the final product versus what was promised was stuff I actually think was more in line with what I wanted. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, it's definitely a game I'm going to play eventually. It's just a matter of when. They've added stuff like being able to customize your character and like change your hair and stuff like that that wasn't in the game originally. Uh, so they're at least, you know, they've made a lot of the big complaints. Like they've made a lot of the big changes that I wanted them to make previous times I've played it. I wish there was car customization. I hope that's coming down the pipeline soon. But it's definitely a whole different beast from when I played it in you know, was that 2021 that it came out or 2022? I think it was 2021. Oh, hmm, man. Time really stopped. Well, I'm, moving I'm here to say that three years or, you know, two, two and a half years later, Cyberpunk 2077, at least the first few hours is good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't really have a huge amount prepared talk about like jackson seemed to for mandalorian so i'm gonna go ahead and hand it over to you jordan what you been up to i want you to to brace yourselves i'm gonna talk about something that is scary to you two specifically and i'm sorry gonna be a freaking card-based roguelike no wait when do we need to pay pa- taxes by today i think i don't know how those <laughs> work yet i'm not old enough you did those in January. Yeah, I did mine. <laughs> I did mine ridiculously early this year. I spent the last couple of weeks reading some books. I know. Stick with me. I'm going. I'm going to explain. Uh, they were actually good books. <laughs> I, I've recently gotten really into a, an author named T.J. Clune. Uh, he is a fantasy author, but he writes what I would describe as realistic fantasy. As weird as that sounds. He writes fantasy stories about a world that is like 99% the same as ours, but hidden amongst that world, mixed into the dark alleys and the corners that no one ever goes to, there are fantasy creatures like your elves and fairies and dogs, ghosts and goblins and all that jazz. Turtles. Like it's. Wow. I love Constantine. (laughs) It's a version of fantasy that is very human, and it's very focused on... Uh, it's it's stories that would work even if there wasn't a fantasy element, but there are these magical elements thrown on top of it that I really appreciate. I've, I've read two of his books in the last little bit, The House in the Cerulean Sea and Under the Whispering Door. I think they're both great books, and they do very, very different things. Um, the House in the Cerulean Sea is this story about uh you know in this world there are all these magical creatures and a lot of the magical creatures are they have human parents that produce magical offspring so for example two humans could give birth to a sprite for example and because humans don't want to take care of their magical babies (laughs) there is sort of an epidemic 
where there are these uh, specific, like, not really orphanages or not really schools, but there are these places specifically designed to send magical beings so that they can grow up sort of separated from the rest of society. God, I love and Hogwarts. That has all those... Yeah, it's Hogwarts. It's, <laughs> it's really interesting because everything about this, this, like, from a... Like, if you were just pitching this book, it sounds a lot like it's X-Men meets Harry Potter, but it's not about the same things at all. I love the an- like, the, the uncanny Hufflepuffs. There are these magical creatures that have to live separate from the rest of humanity. And it's not told, like, this sounds like the setup for a young adult novel that's about, like, you know, a coming-of-age story about an elf living in a human world. It's not that at all. This is a story about a social services worker that has to go and like inspect these houses. And it's such a fascinating way that it's done because it's, it's told from the perspective of a very mundane, like 40 something generic dude, no magical affiliation, nothing special about him, kind of a jerk, like right from the get go. And it's about him going in with this idea of like, I need to inspect all these orphanages and like make sure that they're, you know, following all the protocols and make sure that the kids have food and shelter and the things they need to survive. But the book picks up when he's been doing this for like decades already. And he gets sent on this super top secret assignment to this one orphanage that's like on its own island. It's so separated from everybody else. And when he gets there, and is reading the case files, he finds out that one of the kids living in this orphanage is the Antichrist. And uh, it's this whole thing of him battling with this idea of, you know, this is a, a being of pure evil that could end the world in an instant. But also, like, he's a six-year-old kid that has normal six-year-old kid impulses and ideas. And it has this whole, like, really moving story about this caseworker who becomes so attached to this world and these characters. And it's it's really just some incredible storytelling, some incredible ideas. This author, T.J. Clune, like, he just fires on all cylinders at these very emotional and raw and authentic moments, but told in this very fantastical setting. And I just, I really, really dig it. How does he know that it's the Antichrist? Uh, the, they don't really get into the logistics of like how the kid knows, like he has powers. He keeps no, no. How, do, how does, backwards. how does the inspector know that this kid is the Antichrist? I mean, the organization he works for straight up tell him. How do they like, know it's the Antichrist? Like I said, they don't get into the logistics of like what, like they don't get into the kid's background of like specifically who the devil knocked up for him to be born or what, like they don't, they don't get into all that nonsense. Like this kid just has devil powers and he can like, like there's a point when he like blots out the stars in the sky and like pushes them into darkness and like there are these very fantastical displays but that's not the focus of the story here the focus of the story is this idea of like these are kids and like they are in a situation that they didn't control and what is the responsibility of the people that can make those changes like i i kind of explained this to a few friends as what if there was an X-Men type school? What if there was an Xavier's Institute for Gifted Children, but instead of the bad guy being giant robots that kill mutants on sight, it's government bureaucracy. <laughs> but it's it's so good. Uh, 
I also read Under the Whispering Door, which is a book about a uh, attorney who has done some pretty awful stuff, who has lived this very selfish and unfulfilling life, who dies unexpectedly, and he is given a week between when he dies and when the Reaper is going to take him to the afterlife. And he has to make the most of those seven days and learns a lot about the impact he had on the earth and the people around him and what he should have done differently. And it's also, it's, I wouldn't say it's as exciting as the house in the Cerulean Sea, but it's also a very, very good depiction of this like fantasy in a realistic setting with a very touching story behind it. He also has a new book coming out uh, here in a couple weeks called in the lives of puppets. And uh, it's about robots. And I suspect it's going to be similar to the other two in terms of, you know, how the story is told, but I'm, I'm really excited about that. So, uh, TJ Klune, The House in the Cerulean Sea, Under the Whispering Door, and In the Lives of Puppets. All, uh, I'll, I'll highly recommend. He has a whole bunch of other books, but I have not read any of those yet. <laughs> Antichrist is an Omega level mutant. And Nightcrawler is the new Spider-Man. Nightcrawler is the new Spider-Man. Spider-Man's the new Nightcrawler. And everyone's Venom. Nightcrawler should become the yeah. new Spider-Man. And then Spider-Man should go teach at Xavier's Institute again. Yeah. He's done it a few times at this point, yeah. but you know it's always a highlight. Yeah. Well, to wrap up the show, I want to read... One more fan review of Resident Evil 4 Remake. Uh, the reason I want to read it is because they just commented this three minutes ago. <laughs> so I couldn't include it earlier in the episode when we were originally doing this. But to close our Resident Evil 4 Remake discussion, Cats91 said, The remake perfectly toes the line of staying true to the original and keeping things fresh. A masterpiece again. Amen. <laughs> now just go ahead and go straight into the exit. If... You would like to hear more Totally Biased Media. You can see us on twitch.tv slash Totally Biased Media. We try to stream every weekend. We've admittedly not been the best at that lately, but we're going to get back to it. We're in the middle of the Year of the Kong. We're playing all the way through Donkey Kong Country 1 up through Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. So that's like six games there. We just finished uh, Donkey Kong Country 2. We started Donkey Kong Country 3, we're, we're chugging right along, and it only took us four months to finish two games, <laughs> both of which say that they're only like four hours long on howlongtobeat.com. Yeah, I thought we'd be done with this by now, honestly. Like, this is taking so much longer than I thought it would. <laughs> yeah. We're gamers. We're not good at games. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, if you would like to reach out to us, there are a couple ways you can do that. First, on Twitter at TBMCast. Second, on Instagram at Totally Bias Media. And third, you can send an email to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. Uh, we would love to hear your reviews for upcoming games. We have quite a few on the docket. We're going to be talking about the new Star Wars game. We're going to be talking about Tears of the Kingdom. We're going to be talking about Final Fantasy 16. Lots of games coming up. Lots of games we would love to hear your thoughts on. I'm so excited for each one of these. Yeah. It's going to be a good yeah. few months, boys. It's already been a few good months. Like, we've already had such good games in 2023, and we have so many huge ones on the horizon. It's wild. 2023 is making up for the past two to three years. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's all It's all. They're coming getting together. them all out at once. <laughs> yep. But next episode's going to be a little bit different with Tears of the Kingdom on the horizon. You know, there's all these podcasts that are going to be doing 
uh, Breath of the Wild retrospectives and talking about Breath of the Wild and just playing the game over and over again. But we're not like those other podcast cowards. We're not going to talk about the last Legend of Zelda game. We're going to talk about a Legend of Zelda game from 25 years ago instead. (laughs) Up next, we're going to be talking about Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. So if you have any strong thoughts about that game, we would love to hear them so that we can read them on the podcast like we did today with the Reddit comments. So send those to our Twitter or our Instagram, or our email address. We would love to hear it. We will engage however we reasonably can. But for the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. And you just felt the bias. Thank you, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.